When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Welcome back to the Flow Track Podcast. We're recording this on a Wednesday morning, March 18th. I'm Kevin Sully, joined today in his house, oh, about three or four miles from mine. It's Gordon Mack. Gordon, how you doing? It's only three or four miles? I know. I've only been over to your house once, so when I said three or four miles, it made me think that maybe we should have spent more time together when we had the chance. Yes. <laughs> this is making me have a lot of regrets and. My relationships with everyone in Austin. You have a very one unique thing about your apartment. I don't know if it's still the case. Uh, well, two things. One, I don't want to give away the exact location, but let's just say it's extremely close to a very popular barbecue restaurant in Austin, Texas. Yes. Second, I don't know if you still have this, but you had a very creative decorative wall set up. Can you explain that if you still have it and what's on it? I have a decorative wall? You have a wall that featured very, a very track-centric theme oh, no, on that, one of the walls. That got taken down. Oh, no. Okay, well, can you explain what it was then? Well, I think I, people I, would like it. Oh, yeah. I had a wall with every single one of my credentials. I had a credential wall. Well, you know, like some people collect them and hang them. I actually, mm-hmm. like, took off all the lanyards because you don't need lanyards. And I just made, a, like, a, a row after row. Every row was an entire year. So I had, like, four years of, like, where I've been. So, like... Jamaica champs or USA's mm-hmm. or all the diamond leagues I went to. So it's kind of cool seeing the effort that certain meat directors put on their credentials and the non-effort certain <laughs> ones do. You'd be surprised. They're like really small meats that go way, you know, take it to 100 for their credential quality. You know, mm-hmm. the thickness of the credential, if it's laminated. Right. Some people just give you a little piece of paper. It's, it's, it's very telling about the what they think of their meat based on the type and size of their credential. Some of them had your name printed on it. Some of them have your name on a label that's slapped onto it. Some of them don't even have a name at all. It just says media, right? Yeah, You've some, had that some, experience too? Some don't even have the word media on it. Some of it's <laughs> just like a piece of paper. It's, it's wild. And it's weird. Like you think like, like Diamond League, right? That's like a equal quality event at all different Diamond Leagues. But each mm-hmm. Diamond League treat, thinks has a different type of credential, like, style or, like, effort level, you know? Like, yeah. 
London, they don't care. It's just a piece of paper. It's not good. Whereas like Doha, I know not Doha, uh, Monaco, they care. Yeah. Right. It's embossed. It's it's gold. Actually. Yeah, it's like gold. It's gold plated. You could sell, have you, you ever pawn it off for a few hundred dollars? Have you ever been to a meet where they just give you a wristband? Yes, I have. I don't mm-hmm. save that though. I just pretend that meat didn't exist. Yeah, that's tough to put on the decorative wall. Although, I got one last year from a meet where it was just a wristband, but the wristband was the name of the event, which I thought was kind of cool, at least. Yeah, Stanford used to do. Maybe it was it Stanford? I think you know, like the Livestrong wristbands. They made mm-hmm. like Livestrong type Stanford invite wristbands. Oh wow! Like the rubbery wristband. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. It's, yeah. it, but it was it said it said the name of the meat, so it was pretty cool. I keep them as well too. I just they're in five different spots, so not as well organized. So now that you've taken the the wall down, and I and I have a suspicion of why you took the wall down, though I'm not going to speculate on on this podcast why the wall went down. Did you did you move it? Like, is it in its form just somewhere else, or is it completely disassembled? It's completely disassembled. It's just a stack of. It's in a drawer now, so it, I'm sad. You know, it's okay. It, I was very proud of this, and now it's just like, nope. You're gonna put this in your little, little sock drawer and never see it again. But I add no, to it. A- I added the NCA indoor credential to it, even though I never really wore it. That's probably your most famous credential, right? At this point, yeah. The meat that never happened. I'm gonna tell my grandkids about that one. I almost grabbed a meat program before we left. Actually, the meet the start lists were up, right? And no one was, everyone was gone. We could have taken the the start lists as like a, a collector's item. Yeah. I mean, I have, I still have the program. It's smashed now into like four p- pieces from the last meet at Hayward in my bag. You know that they gave out to media. I was like, oh, this is the last meet at Hayward. All this is kind of interesting. Uh, I didn't do a good job keeping track of it, but to have a program for a meet that didn't happen, it's pretty wild. It is pretty Quite wild. I don't think. Uh, it would do too well on eBay. Uh, no, it's <laughs> on. You know, I don't think the the track and field community is that loving of track memorable. Actually, what do you think is like the most expensive or like sought after track memorabilia out there? Would you be like Usain Bolt spikes when he broke the world record? Would you say that's the most? Yeah, I mean that would be awesome. Any one of those. I didn't. Wasn't there something with? With like a Jesse Owens gold medal floating around for a while there, I think that would be incredible. Maybe the Segway that almost or that ran bolt over. Yeah, because you could use it still too. It has <laughs> dual functions. <laughs> you can you can use it as a historical artifact or to to ride it to to Jimmy John's. I don't know. Um, would you rather have like the kit from like a world record run, the bib, the spikes, the shorts, the the socks. Oh, the spikes. the spikes. Definitely the spikes. Spikes are number one for sure. And I feel like a baton is kind of cool to have from like a relay record because they're, they're, you know, they're bright and shiny. It always looks pretty cool. Um, and it's not like, oh, I have somebody's old shoes. Because that, that could, yeah, it's kind of weird to explain to somebody. Yeah. Like, why do you have all these shoes? I, the rarity of the, the canceled meat credential, though, reminds me of there was a, a time when Michael Jordan didn't wear uh number 23 or number 45 and there oh, was yeah. a card he, he ran like a random number right he had 12 i think because something happened to his jersey there's some weird story about it i don't remember 
but I remember people saying like there was a there was there happened to be a photographer, you know, shooting pictures back when trading cards were like a thing, which I hope they still are a thing because I'm going to be a multimillionaire according to my Beckett uh, projections. <laughs> he had he had like number twelve or something on, and um, there was a card of it, and people thought it was like manipulated, like the image wasn't real, uh, but I guess it was. Uh, oh yeah, here number twelve. I'm googling it now. Yeah. Well, it, solving. I don't have time to read the entire article um, right now on the podcast, but in, on Valentine's Day, nineteen ninety, uh, he wore it. He wore the number twelve, and there's photos of him wearing number twelve. Yeah. Oh, the, it got stolen. Stolen. Oh, yeah. remember when uh, Tom Brady's jersey got stolen? There was a whole, like, 30 for 30 on it or something like that, wasn't there? Yeah, so this Yahoo, this Yahoo article says uh, stole someone stole it from the Orlando visitor's locker room prior to the Bulls gaming against the Magic on February 14th, 1990. And he said it had never happened to him before. And so he had to wear number 12 that night. And it was his name wasn't on the back. <laughs> So if that's stolen, the, the person stole it to sell it, I'm guessing? Yeah. Okay, so if you're buying that stolen merchandise, you know it's stolen because the news says it's stolen. Yep. How do you keep that secret? Like, do you put it in a drawer or do you – like, do you have this, like, secret room that you bring your friends to? You're like, don't tell anyone, but check it out. Yeah. It, it's, so it says also – Teams carry duplicate jerseys now. They didn't then when teams flew commercial and traveled lighter to co- cost. So the solve, the, literally all they had to do to solve the problem was bring more than one jersey. It's like, okay. Did they only have two jerseys per uh, game? Because what if I just, two jerseys reps, you need that third jersey. Yeah, I guess they just don't hang it up in a locker room. They keep the other one They keep the other one under or lock and key. But, well, uh, you- I mean... It, it's very weird to see him in 12, and it's very weird to see no name on the back. Yeah, what would you say would be, like, the – is there anything that track athletes bring two of to, like, make sure – like, I don't think any track athletes bring two pairs of spikes. Well, there was a famous story, I think, was was it last inner season or two inner seasons ago when Richard Kilty, Richard Kilty said his spikes got stolen before that meet, and then he had to run in, uh, in somebody else's spikes. Um, so, I – I feel like you have to, right? That's on the coach. Like, you got to keep that second bag. Yeah. Because if you're a high school coach, you're accustomed to bringing, like, another another jersey, another set of shorts, because you know somebody's going to forget it. Um, wasn't there another famous I, for, I forgot my spikes or I didn't have my spikes situation? I think so. There's always, like, some random, like, sprinter who's, like, saying, like, yeah, I ran in my friend's spikes. Or, like, I think yeah. that's happened before. I remember I had been in a mix. I've been in a mix zone where the athlete told me they're wearing someone else's spikes. Yeah, yeah. At one of the meets, you had a credential for. Yes. That's now no longer on your wall. No, that's in a drawer, <laughs> far away. Uh, so on today's episode, we wanted just to talk broadly about track and even broadly about things we love in track, since yes. it may be a while till we see track again. So these are not. These are not specific to certain athletes. Yes, we all liked watching Usain Bolt run, but we wanted to touch on more universal truths, things that just just made us happy in in the track world. Um, and I guess this could be ongoing. People could write in flowtrackpodcast at gmail.com. Let us know uh, your favorite thing in the track or, or running world. 
Uh, I know you got one, but I, I can lead off here, Gordon. Yeah, you lead off. Uh, so one thing I love about track is unbalanced 4x4s. And when I say unbalanced 4x4s, I mean a 4x4 team or a 4x4 race in which all the splits aren't really lined up. All the teams don't have equal parts. I.e., think of a, a high school boys 4x4 where you got a 55, a 52, a 51, and then a 47 on there. One where there's just a huge range of abilities. Yeah, like that kind of reminds me of uh, the the Lyles when they were running their 4x4. Mm-hmm. They, I think they basically legs 2 and 4 were extremely good, and then legs 1 and 3 were like 52, 53 seconds. Mm-hmm. But then they had two 47 guys. Because what the unbalanced 4x4 brings us is the is like a sub thing that I like. like a, it, it, It's a bullet point under it, which is insane 4x4 comebacks. You cannot have an insane 4x4 comeback if you have a completely balanced team, right? If all of Matthew Bowling's team w- was close to as good as Matthew Bowling, they would have been ahead when he got the baton last year at the Texas State meet. Instead, he was way far behind did an epic comeback. We saw Sydney do it, and it wasn't in the 4x4, but they did that. she did that weird, was it the Swedish relay, where it was 100, 200, 300, 400, and she was way back, and she kicked that girl down. Um, you don't get that epic comeback if you have the balance, if you have, if you have the balance team, and if your opponent is, is matching up with you evenly. I mean, is there anything better in track than an awesome 4x4 comeback? Kendall Ellis, USC? Well, here's the thing, though. Now, this is me being uh, a cynical contrarian. Yeah, don't do that. This is not cynical contrarian hour. <laughs> no, but like I'm still going to do it. Uh, would you say, though, that we're now pointing out the flaw in amazing comebacks and kicks and that it's not really about their talent level? It's more about the unevenness of the competition? Well... For this to work, right, it it needs to be, like, they need to be off-kilter with their opponent, too. It's not just about their own team. is Like, they all can't be as good as Bowling, right? They all can't be as good as Kendall Ellis. They all can't be as good as Allison Felix. So their team has to be, they have to be, you know, the strongest person on their team. But also, the team they're matching up with has to have a vulnerability or weakness. Yeah, I mean, I just, I'd say it's just like uh, you're going against, you're, you're playing a team sport, basketball or football, and, or baseball, and you have a really good closer, and the other team doesn't, right? Yeah. Or your your fourth quarter performance is really strong, and then the other team just turns on the screws, and then comes and then comes back. Or um, really good offense, really bad defense, something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm reminded of remember Allison Felix ran a 47-7 four by four split, and that team lost. The U.S. team lost to Jamaica that year. Allison Felix was not on the anchor. Just still crazy to me. It's one of like, you go back and watch that race. It's just one of the most uh, interesting, fascinating races. We might need to do like a, a r- race in review on that one because there's like a million things going on there uh, that all of them, all of which I find fascinating. But it so it doesn't always it doesn't always work out right because she handed it to McCory and Francine McCory. I think ran, I don't remember off the top of my head, but some forty nine or fifty something like that, right? the the legs were were off like you probably would want to anchor with the 47-7 and put the other one behind which would have made the comeback even crazier though they if everybody ran even splits they would have come back um do you have a favorite do you have a favorite 4x4 
favorite 4x4? I do. My favorite 4x4 was Florida Relays 2014. Um, I, I, it's one of my favorites because I was there and I called it. I was with uh, Alex yeah. Lohr, R.I.P. Uh, not R.I.P. He's not dead, but, you know, poor. He's just not. We've, with, we've, he just doesn't work at Flow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> wow, that got serious. Yeah, shout know. out to Alex if you're listening. Shout out to Alex. Uh, but Florida Relays 2014, um, it was like there was the collegiate Florida team and then there was, I think, two, two pro teams, but mainly I think one. And on this pro team, you had Karan Clement. I think Christian Taylor was on it. It was like a, you know, a legit pro team and they ran uh sub 3, but then the the college team won it in a sub 3 performance. So seeing a college team beat pros running breaking 3 minutes, that's what, you know, to me was like the best thing about it. And it like you go back to the call, if you, I put it to some like uh some good music and it, and and it's wild. It's a, it's a it's a it's a great race. Watch it. Twenty fourteen Florida relays four by four. Google it. You won't be disappointed. I think Armand Hall was the anchor. He splits oh, okay. like he splits like forty three high or forty four low. You know, just seeing him uh, running down Karan Clement, seeing like a college kid beating a pro is like always a good experience. I think. I. It's funny you bring up that meet. Obviously, they're running ridiculously fast, but. That's not the highest profile of me. You, you didn't pick the Olympics or the NCAA championships. And that's the other thing that's cool about the unbalanced 4x4. Like, everybody has a story, right, from, like, a high school dual meet where the splits were even wilder, right? You mentioned the Lyles brothers, but it's, like, we've all seen the high school race where someone's up by, like, 50 meters, but there's that one kid in town that everybody knows is, like, ridiculous on the anchor. And even though they're getting the stick 50 meters behind, uh, you know, they're they're closing with even if it's something like a forty eight or a forty nine, the other team's running like a fifty five, and it's just like, it's like Jaws, man. They're just sitting out there in the middle of the ocean, and no one's there to save them, and that person runs them down. Like, I remember we had a uh, when I was in high school, like my freshman or sophomore year. Well, our coach at the time had a rule: like, you weren't allowed to leave the meet uh, early. Like even if it was a home meet, you had to get per- because he's like everything like the four by four. He's his in his estimation the four by four was the most important thing in the world. Like because <laughs> you never knew. He always said you never know if like you're gonna get called on to run the four by four, which was funny because I was a five fifty five miler that year and uh, <laughs> I knew I was not gonna get called on to run the four by four because we had a hundred people on our team, literally, and ninety nine of them were probably faster than me in the four by four, but you would, we would stick, you'd stick around. Right. And we had, uh, on our girls four by four, a really fast sprinter that he would always throw in the four by four and always try to make her work as a 400 runner. Um, she ran like the open one, the open two. And in the first 200, she did ha- she had no clue how to pace herself. So the first she, we'd be in a huge deficit, but she'd get the stick last and she'd make up almost all the ground by 200 and every time we thought this was going to be the time that she held it together <laughs> and then fell apart and we lost by like six seconds every single time because of the last 200, she had nothing. I mean, it was all, it was, it was the same thing, but it was always so exciting because I don't know, like when you're young and you're in high school and the, the fastest person in your school seems like the fastest person ever, right? Yeah. Like, cause you're like, Oh my gosh, they ran, they're in under 11 seconds for the hundred. My God. Cause you have yeah, no exposure yeah. to it. Like, yeah. it's just. And I feel like everybody's got it. Like I heard a story about uh, recently about Brazier's 
Donovan Brazier's exploits in the four by four in high school and how he did like these like legendary splits at their regional meet and his were like obviously legitimately fast times. So not everybody got to run and see an Olympian when they were in high school, but a lot of people have like that similar thing where that person was just so much better than everybody else. And the four by four was really where you got to see it because four by one, eh, it's so short, right? You can't really like you walk somebody down, I guess, but it's not as impressive. The open races, well, you're starting at the same time and they're just crushing him. When you get the baton with like a huge deficit in the four by four, you really see the difference in talent at that point. Yeah. Have you ever been in a relay where you walked down someone or got walked down? Uh, the latter. Well, so my junior or senior year, we started having fun with doing a distance 4x4. But the 2-mile or 3200 was right before it. So I, it always seemed like a good idea. And then I'd finish and because they combined the men's and women's. Um, they always combined the boys and girls 2-mile. Yeah. And then it would be the men's 4x4 right after that. So I would finish – and then it would be like boys four by four on the track. So then I convinced my teammates, let me be anchor so I can get like three more minutes of rest. Uh, I don't think I ever broke 60, let me, to be honest. I need three more minutes of rest, so let me anchor. <laughs> it always seemed like we joke about it all week about how fast we were going to run and how good we were going to be. Because we were like, our, we're like, hey, coach, can we enter a team? And he's like, dude, if you want to kill it, fine, go ahead, <laughs> enjoy. But we would be our like D team. Um, and yeah, it was it was painful. It was horrible. The only other times I really ran on relays was, uh, like we do like one DMR a year or one four by mile. Um, so nothing, nothing too dramatic. You actually, you have some stories here cause you actually ran 400s. Yeah. So I have, a, yeah, I'm not going to act like my stories though are anything worth listening to because I was a division three and a mediocre high school runner. So, uh, but I, I can say I have experienced, chasing someone down and catching them then you know even in like at a four by eight in high school there's been times when you're racing like that really shitty uh dual meet team where you know they don't really have yeah. anyone that's good and so you know you you just know you're better so you kind of run with a smile and you get to experience like yeah i'm gonna pass you so uh it's fun it's a you good look like feeling. a superhero it's a good yeah, feeling like- i don't know if i have any memory of getting caught Mainly because I'm not put in a lot of positions to get caught, but I gotta imagine that is not a good feeling, getting caught and then like, yeah, that's just oh it on on any level it's bad, but imagine like a, a NCAA championship or Olympic or World Championship scenario where it's like your the leads look so big in those meets, but then you go back and you look at the split, it's like oh that person only ran a second and a half faster, yeah. But it looks like they just got swallowed up. You, uh, you held off Leo Manzano in a, in I a did. relay. I'm surprised you didn't bring that up. I should have. Well, I don't. I don't consider it. it. It's a. It's a fake holding off. Yeah, I held off Leo Manzano for a good 200 meters. I was in the first lap of my 800, and he was in his first lap. No, I was in the last lap of my 800, and he was in his first lap of his mile. It was a DMR, so I didn't let him lap me. Basically, so, indoors though, right? It was indoors, so I probably like. That's tough. So I probably ran like a 29 second 200 to end my 800 and he was like opening up with a 29 second 200. But yeah, in yeah. my mind, I was like, yeah, that's right. Watch out, Leo. I'm not going to let you pass me. I'm a division three, 158, 800 runner. You're not going <laughs> to mess with this. And he goes out and splits like 359. <laughs> was that before he won? Was this before 2012? Yeah, before 2012. So okay. 
Yeah. Before the silver medal. So you kind of helped yeah. get him prepped. Yeah, he's like, if I can't beat this kid, I need to work harder. <laughs> he went back to the gym. He started <laughs> training. And I know I was on his mind when he was in 10th place with 300 meters to go to try to uh, get that silver medal. Oh, that was awesome. All right, so that, that was my first one, uh, insane 4x4 comeback slash unbalanced 4x4s. What do you got? So one thing that I kind of like about track that a lot of other sports don't have is the idea of breaking a barrier. And it happens, you know, pretty much in almost all of the events, whether it's a jumping event or running event. Breaking 10 seconds means so much to a a man who runs the 100-meter dash. Breaking 11 seconds means a lot. Breaking the four-minute mile. Breaking two minutes as a elite woman. Breaking two minutes as a high school boy in the 800. Uh, obviously, we just had the two-hour marathon. You can go mm-hmm. on and on. And not even at the OO moment. Like, the first time a high school boy breaks 50 seconds at a 400, it's a good feeling. You know, you can go across the board in pretty much every event. And there's like that zero 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 time or footmark that if you just mm-hmm. dip under it or just go over it, it just feels so great. And I think it's kind of cool that having the, the fact that our sport is so, it's not just about the competition, but it's all also about the competition with yourself and pushing your body to a certain mark. The fact that you have these like cool feelings, seeing 359.99 is like 10 times more uh, enjoyable than seeing 358 mm-hmm. you know because it's like i did it i just got under that flat mark that you know we create barriers now these barriers get easier and easier as this world gets better and better in track and field but it still feels mm-hmm. good now breaking four for our college kid is now the equivalent of breaking four for our high school kid in a, in a weird way but yeah uh i just think the idea of these barriers makes it fun because it's a, a cool goal that everyone can achieve When you're watching track, does it give you that same level of excitement? Yeah. Or is this more when you're actually doing it? Or is this like when you're watching it or you're like, oh, man, that, that's cool. That person just ran under four. Yeah, I think that it's person both. just ran under two. Both. I mean, obviously, there's like the personal side of it where you can kind of pick a number on the, on the scale and be like, I'm going to break that number. But then also it's fun to watch it happen, uh, you know, because then you see, oh, we're on pace to break, you know, they go out in two minutes. Oh, they can they break four minute mile? You know, it makes there's like a storyline to the race when you know there's like this cool barrier that you can kind of relate to, you know. So mm-hmm. you uh, you kind of understand like, you know, what's their, you know, are they on sub thirteen pace? You know, like watching um, the Chris Zielinski ten k, you know, when he broke twenty seven minutes, mm-hmm. uh, the entire time, like half of the commentary is about the pace of like he's on pace for sub 27 sub 20 you know like Mm -hmm. you know i just think uh breaking running sub 27 is so much more of a cool thing and to process than running 2653 or 2704 you know yeah yeah i'm i always like to fixate on the time barriers that are going to be like weird to see as in when we see our first sub 140 800, like the whole idea of a 139 next to an 800 is just going to look really weird. Yeah, I'm excited for that one. I, 
ever since 2012, I've been like, that's coming, you know? Ever since Rudisha yeah. ran his 140, I was like, oh, when are we getting our 139? I didn't think, I mean, it's now been eight years, right, since that? Yeah. I still think we're going to see it in our lifetime. Do you think we could see that with the current yeah. crop of elites? No, I think it's going to be the next one, but I think we'll see it. What's your, like, all... What's your power rankings for weird yet attainable number of records? Like weird uh, times? Like 139 and 800, right? That's still, you could say it's somewhat attainable and it just looks weird, right? I'm not saying like, whoa, when someone breaks 25 in a 10K, because obviously that's not really attainable right I mean, now. 1049? I mean, 1049? I mean, no, no, round number. Sorry, excuse me. No, but I, I want a rounder number. I want Some, like a see nine point four on a clock for a man running a hundred be kind of crazy. Okay, I'll give you that. Okay, that is a nine forty nine. Okay, so that's your number one. Yeah, I think seeing nine point four on a clock would be amazing, especially I'll because give, Bolt lowered it so much that yeah. now someone comes out here and just like makes Bolt's time look like even more like crazier. You know, that's what I think. I got one for you. I don't okay. think you can sit. I we'll don't think you can sit. We'll do a draft. I draft. I draft 949 as my number one uh, weird time that might happen. Okay, here's one for, for you. 1199 in the women's high hurdles. 1199. Ooh. We're that, only, that would be weird. We're only .21 away. And here's the catch, Gordon. Because it's a different distance in the men's high hurdles, we've never associated 11 seconds with the hurdles. Because the yeah. men's world record is the men's world record is twelve eighty, and the men uh, are a lot farther away from getting it than the women. But we're only point two one away from eleven ninety nine in the hurdles, and that would be absolutely bizarre to see. That just seems weird too. I like that. So I'm I'm uh, killing you in this draft, by yeah. the way. Okay, I'm going to go with the with the third overall pick in the. That was weird... a Luka Doncic type pick for, uh, against you. Yes, third <laughs> overall pick. I'm going to go back to what we already just talked about. I'll go with the one thirty nine, eight hundred. So I got my ten forty nine. I mean, excuse me, not ten forty nine. Nine forty nine hundred. One thirty nine eight hundred. What's your uh, fourth pick? <sighs> with the fourth pick. pick again, I just feel like I'm playing. Chess and you're playing checkers here. It's a sub nineteen two hundred, an eighteen second two hundred. Ooh, yeah, that is good. I mean, again, that's it's two tenths away, and that one I think is a ways away. Uh, I put the your eight hundred, the eight that your eight hundred pick will come before that. Um, maybe even my hurdle thing would come before that, although it's a longer distance. You think they could drop more, but. Um, well, what what do you think is more possible, like of those four? You no, know, like an eight an eighteen ninety nine or a nine forty nine, probably nine forty nine, right? Uh, actually, I would think eighteen ninety nine is more possible. Just longer distance. Yeah, and like just like, yeah, there's more of an up. What what is it? Nine? What's the record? Nineteen. 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 I mean, yeah, point one nine is a long. <laughs> yeah so well, i don't know I he was always like better than two start, though like you know that you're just gonna be able if you get someone with like the start of christian coleman mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. you know the closing speed of bolt you know put that together yeah. like what would bolt have ran if he could start if you 
if he had his exact same talent, but he had like a Christian Coleman start. Yeah, well, that's why I say that the two hundred might be easier or harder because he's he was always better at the two hundred comparatively of the two. He always enjoyed the two hundred more. Um, so, but it's hard to it's hard to say like, oh yeah, nine forty nine is way easier than nineteen nineteen because that seems ridiculous though too. But I could see. It, it, yeah, you're right. It's going to have to take like that composite person, right? We've seen the different traits that it requires, but they're different people. Yeah. And the height of Bolt makes it difficult to duplicate a start like Coleman. Yeah. Because Coleman's not very tall. Um, so you'd need to find somebody in between, like a combo sprinter like that. Yeah, but, um, you know, with the I do think, though, the height of Bolt was like a a – a negative to his start, but I think with time and evolution, eventually someone with the height of Bolt will be able to have the quickness start of a shorter, of the current era's short sprinters. Sure. You know, like in 50 I... years, like height won't be as much of a hindrance to starting. Okay. I can see that. All right. One more, one more round in our weird number draft. Uh, you get one more pick and I get so one is more it pick. my turn? Yeah, it's you. Ooh. Choose wisely. Yeah. I I wanted to say this, but I don't think it's going to happen, so I, I probably shouldn't. I mean, it would be cool to see a... I mean, I'm going to stay on the sprint side, seeing a 39-second 400, but... <laughs> Yeah, no, that's not that is not qualified for the draft. You you just you drafted a person that uh, that rights still belong to a European club team. If this was the NBA draft, no. <laughs> okay, sorry, sorry. I thought you were gonna go with. You know what I thought you were gonna go with? What? When you said this isn't gonna happen, but I thought you were gonna say a women's sub four mile. I thought that's where you were gonna go. No, I feel like what's more likely a sub four women's mile or a. 39 second 400. I mean, I think a sub four women's. I mean, Dababa and Hassan are running 350, 351, right? That's equivalent to 408. Yeah. But eight seconds I mean, is a lot, right? No? Well, yeah, but you're talking about dropping four seconds in a 400. That's insane, too. It's not four seconds. So, you said 40. Oh, three, three seconds, sorry. Yeah. Three seconds. It's not four seconds. It's just three seconds off of the four hundred. <laughs> well, that's seventy-five percent less. You're twenty-five percent less. So, okay. Do you have a Do you have a pick, or are you gonna pass to me? I'll, I'll I, just tell you what I had. I, okay, I I didn't come prepared for this draft. I uh, neither I did I. I would, this I, isn't... I wish I had more time to. to I want. I, I mean, I want to think of a good one. That's why I'm kind of don't want to say it. Yeah. Here's one that's not that attain like this is definitely attainable, so it's not that crazy. But a thirty foot long jump, and it's also tough because we don't really think of, you know, when we're doing a using the metric system, the current world record is eight point nine five meters, which is uh, twenty nine feet. Um, but a thirty foot long jump would be cool, right? And there was there's all those stories about how Carl Lewis apparently did one back in the day. Uh, but it didn't count. But to actually see one would be pretty cool, which would be what not it'd be nine point one four meters. So an yeah. improvement of uh, of what what point uh, point one nine meters. 
What's the high jump world record? The high jump world in record feet. in f- oh, that's a good question. So the high jump world record in feet. Let me look that up. So it's uh, two point four five meters. So we're gonna go two point four five. Shout out to Google eight. Eight point zero three feet. Oh, so, so just over eight feet. Yeah, you got a ways to go to get to nine feet. feet then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a ten foot high jump would be pretty nuts. I think people would understand that. <laughs> uh, What's the pole vault now? Well, for a while I was just gonna say, uh, six nineteen. Like, what is that in feet? Yeah. Uh, twenty feet. Twenty point oh, three feet. Twenty point three. Twenty one. Yeah, a lot yeah. of these. Are, a lot of these are, yeah, but I feel like twenty is the the number you got to go to yeah, there, that's right? True. That's the that's the sub four. You look at the distance races, like on the men's side of things, it's like, okay, well, the fifteen hundred mile record, whatever, five thousand, you're it's you got a long way to go. Ten thousand, you got a long way to go. Marathon, you've already done that. On the women's side of things, I, maybe like a sub fourteen women's five thousand, that would be nuts too, right? Yeah, sub fourteen. Yeah, what what what's the men's ten k again? Twenty six. Twenty six twenty two, isn't it? So can we see a twenty five? Or sorry, twenty twenty six seventeen. My apologies. Twenty six seventeen. Can we see a twenty five fifty nine? That would be kind of cool. Yeah, I mean that's not. I feel like that's attainable. Yeah, yeah, twenty six seventeen from Bekele from two thousand five, and then the women's, the women's five is fourteen eleven. And both of those things would be nuts. Those are both good picks. Those are both good picks. Yeah. Like a twenty-five minute five k. Like we rarely see twenty-six minute ten. Or sorry, twenty-five minute. I do twenty-five minute five k's. A twenty-five minutes. Ten thousand. Like yeah, yeah. That's well. I think that's, that's actually more doable because one, we really haven't seen the true potential of the ten k because our best yeah. athletes aren't always doing it. They skip the ten k, go to the marathon, or there's just not enough evenly paced races to make it perfect for that. And I think if every year we had four to five really fastly paced 10Ks in like 20 mm-hmm. years, we're going to see a 25.59. On the women's side, it's also it also ends in 17, 29.17, the world record. So 28.59. So. so there we go. 28.59, 25.59. It's going to happen by year <laughs> 2059. <laughs> the problem is the problem and the steeple records are in weird spots too. The problem is with that women's 10,000 record is it's 14 seconds better than the next fastest of all time. So it already is a outlier performance, yeah. but man, I think, a, I think a woman breaking 14 would be, would be really, really, really jarring to see. What right. About a, what about a woman breaking 10 seconds in the hundred? I think that that's a lot farther off than. I do. I, mean, I do think that there there is going to be like, because obviously there's physical differences between a man and a woman, and that's why the records are so different. But like, there's got to be eventually someone who gets born just like with abnormal, you know, ability, and like women are just always going to get faster. Like the potential for women to get faster is so much greater than it is for a man to get to get faster. Right. I, I well, I look at it this way, right? If a woman breaks, and I, I've always been using well, late, when we're talking about Semenya, we're using college performance as a comparison. If a woman, if someone broke fourteen in the five thousand, 
Would they be a factor to if they ran thirteen fifty nine? Would they be a factor to win the NCAA title for the men? No. If someone broke ten seconds in the hundred, would they be a factor to win the NCAA title for the men? Maybe. I yeah. mean, I mean, they would. Jerry they'd make Lawson the final. Would. Yeah, but. Hashtag uh, Chez should have won the Ches Chez forever. But like that's that's my thing. I think it's like that that is just much more attainable. So that was the first ever weird uh event draft, which came within our things that we like about track. So we had let's let's review here. You have what was your first pick again? That was so long ago now. Uh nine forty nine. I had women's sub twelve hurdles. You had 139.800. I had a sub 19 second 200. Uh, and then. And then I, I left the draft. Then you left. Well, let's, let's, we can, we can, we can spread these out. You okay. can take the, uh, you can take the men's 10. I'll take the women's five. Right? Yes. Yeah. And then also the 30 foot long jump. Yeah. 30 foot long jump. I, everybody gets the 30 foot long jump. It was yeah. great. Um, That's the, uh, right. that goes to the expansion team. uh all right another thing i like about track this this has to do with more of a feeling than anything else you're gonna like this one gordon you're gonna like this one okay in a sprint event specifically in a sprint event in a big meet olympics world championships ncaa's the time between when the starter says on your marks, and when the gun goes off. Just that time, that mood, that feeling. That moment. It's awesome, right? You get up every day for that moment. It's like when, and I don't like roller coasters, but it's like the moment after the roller coaster's been climbing, click, 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 and then there's just that brief pause before the thing comes flying down and everybody starts screaming. So you like that moment. I actually hate that moment. It's tense. It stresses me out. You still get nervous? Yeah, because I'm like, I get, <laughs> I awesome. get, I get stressed because I, especially in a sprint, I'm like, guys, you're taking too long. Stop moving. I feel like they're gonna, <laughs> I feel like they're gonna like stand up. Like I, I always expect it to be like, oh, you're, you're you're waiting too long. They're gonna say stand up. It stresses me out because I get stressed about a false start. Uh, yeah, I'm going on the, I'm going the exact opposite way here. I, hate but it that. makes you, I hate that moment. It makes you feel though. That's my thing. It makes you feel. It does. And it's it like gives me feels. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, like, and it's cool when there's a packed stadium. And this didn't really happen in Doha at the World Championships because there was nobody there for most of the meet. But like when it goes completely silent, it's sort of like it, it, it's got a really cool feeling of oh my gosh, there's like I don't know sixty thousand people in the stadium, and if it's the Olympics or even more, they're all completely silent. Yeah, and so many cool. people and, – and there's that idea that like this is – like you just do that. It's like that beginning of a, a movie or a documentary where all these different TVs, you're cutting from one country to the next and everybody, they're at a bar. They're at their house. They're crowded around um, like in a restaurant. Like they're all watching this thing, right, that's about to happen. Like, And you, you can feel that when it's – like an Olympic hundred meter final, yeah. especially of just like everybody is watching it and just how, how tense it is for that moment is pretty cool. It's like Distance the final running, play of a, a football or basketball game. Yeah. Except it's like that. You don't know if it's going to be important, right? 
That's true. It could be a blowout. This, like, you go into it and you know that that, like, 10 seconds that precedes it and then the 10 seconds, uh, 10 plus or 10-ish seconds is going to be amazing too. Like, it's just – there's just uh, – I think it's unique to track, which is why I like it so much. But I'm like you. My hands start to get sweaty. <laughs> Even with NCAAs and stuff, like my hands will start to get – maybe even the Iowa State Classic 60. Maybe that gets me gets me going too. Um, but I, I do have yeah. an interesting story about that type of moment. Like it's pretty much known that like right before the start, you got to be quiet, right? And that's like mm-hmm. if, no one is screaming. But when I went to Jamaica in 2014 for the high school championships – it is like a football game. It is wild. They're screaming. They're they're shouting the entire time. There's like, it's like a soccer match, you know, like just nuts, and yeah. it's so loud the entire time with all these people screaming. It takes them like three minutes maybe to get them to be quiet <laughs> for the start of a race, like because yeah. they're just like still going and like they're just keep like it. They like have to like say please please be quiet while they're standing in the blocks it's like kind of Mm -hmm. hilarious because like you think this track community would understand hey we gotta be quiet for the start of this race but they don't they don't want to they don't even want to pause for like 15 seconds to give these guys their start which i thought was kind of funny that's incredible i i really want to go to that meet someday because everything i've heard about it is that it's uh unlike any other i think also in that 10 seconds what i realize and what other people realize is it's just not it's not just about being fast because you you feel the enormity of it like you feel the nerves and the weight and then you kind of push that off onto the competitors and it's like oh my gosh like bolt's got to make sure he doesn't fall start bolt's got to get out of the track like bolt's got to do what he may not win like this is so te- like how is he possibly staying calm in that moment, you know, like a golfer, right? Oh, you have a putt to win the Masters. Okay, it's not just that they've practiced the putt a bunch of times. It's like, can they do it right now? Yeah, it is cool. That's what's great about track and field, man. It's a. We I'm getting nervous right now. You're, I, I kind of, I'm with you. I don't like this anymore. Like these cool I, yeah, I don't like it anymore. I'm nervous again. This is just uh, getting me excited. On the flip side of that, <laughs> on the flip side of that, uh, another thing I like about track and running is the start to a marathon and the start to a cross country. Like, I just love the visual of that. Now, has anything ever consequential happened in the beginning of a big cross country race or the beginning of a marathon? Very rarely. <laughs> Very rarely. But just the visual of the huge mass of humanity running towards the camera always makes me happy. I don't know why. All, seeing all the colors and everything blend together and the race is off, it's underway. I, I like the start to distance races. Okay, I can see that. There was a recent marathon where someone fell in the beginning and got trampled oh yeah uh cam war fell in the half marathon world yeah. champs yeah that was that. Yeah. yeah yeah don't that's uh, yeah and i guess you could say well strategically teams need to like position themselves near the front and all that stuff but just that running to the camera shot i know what's going to happen every time but i still like it how great would it be if we ever see <clears throat> like are there official false start rules to cross-country races and marathons no, because, well, I remember this at the uh, marathon trials because I was standing right by the start. A bunch of people s- took off, like at least one or two people, like fell, stumbled, and then they just called them back and started them again. So I yelled DQ real loud. <laughs> and I just was like, James West did not get DQ'd 
from the West Prelim 1500 for us to be able to flaunt the rules right now. Get them out of there. That would be amazing if they actually did do a DQ at like a, a long – I mean, would they do a DQ at a 10K track on a 10K track? Yeah, they would, right? Well, so the NCAA now has like revisited that rule apparently and it's like in distance races you can call them back up. Remember uh, it was Kaladi a couple years ago indoors, right? It was I don't – I'm losing track of time. We were there when she – Fall started in the five or the five or the three or something. I remember it was indoors. Do you remember that? And they just called them back up and let yeah. them go. And there was another, but I remember one where there was like a a, a Bing, Binghamton athlete. I forget his name. Uh, he ran for Hook. Uh, what was his name? His name's killing me. He he ran professionally in the eight hundred, but he got DQ'd. False start DQ in an eight hundred indoors. I was like, come on. Yeah, it's. That's not the point. Like, I get the reason of no sprint fall starts this, because you could yeah. be there all day. Yeah. There's no adva- yeah, there's no advantage gained from doing that. It takes two seconds. Just line them up, shoot the gun again. Let's let's get it going. Like, there's no there's no point to that. So There needs to be a um, new petition that, like, there's no such thing as fall starts in the event of 401 meters and up. Yes. I had 100% before that. I'd almost be for it in the 400, too, because I've never seen anybody try to, like, game the system in a 400. It's usually just, like, they accidentally fell out of the blocks. Or, in Allison Felix's case, she clearly falls out of pre-classic, and they're like, yeah, okay, just go run. <laughs> you're, you're not going to get DQ'd from this race. We would have a lot of angry people, because that is, that is ridiculous. Um, do you have another one? Do you have another thing that you love about track? Another thing that I love about track? I... Or field, or marathoning, or cross country really anything that we cover anything that we cover what gets you excited i i uh one thing that makes me kind of laugh not really excited but makes me laugh about track and field is when uh alternates stand on the podium <laughs> okay like at cross in cross country yeah or even a sixth seventh man stand on the podium and plus alternates. It's just kind of like, yeah, you kind of just moral support. You're not really, like, impacting. Like, yeah, not, you know, I guess, yeah, it's a team. We want to acknowledge everyone on the team. But it's kind of funny seeing, like, the seventh man who gets, like, 250th at cross get to, like, host a I'm a winner trophy. You know, it's just kind of weird. I was – getting on a plane coming back from Doha and I was talking to a, a member of the one of the US uh, relay teams and uh, they said hello I said hi and I said do you have the medal and they're like oh yeah I was like and they they hadn't run in the final and I said they should have let you stand on the podium and they're like yeah I know I know man <laughs> but they had the medal I think medal, I know who so you're talking happy. about I think I know who I, you're yeah, talking I, about <laughs> they had the medal, and they were very, they were very pumped about it. And uh, but I was like, yeah, you could fit all, whatever. If you have four people in the prelim, four people in the final, you got eight people. Fit, throw throw eight people up there. Uh, I like it when they bring in people who didn't even run in any form or fashion, right? Yeah. Like they got on the bus and rode with the team that day. They just did the warm up. That's all they did. They they warmed up, <clears throat> two mile jog, and that's it. And then they just they cheered their cheered their faces off. Uh, I wanted to ask you something. This is completely unrelated. Um, but you followed NAU a lot this year. 
uh, last year, I guess now at this time. And I watched that workout, right? And uh, the, the one where they do early morning and it's like Beamish and Bosley or whatever. And obviously they went to that meet knowing they weren't going to race. But I get the feeling there's oftentimes when people don't like collegiate athletes don't really know what the plan is. Like sometimes they'll travel to a meet and not know if they're racing or not. Was that, was that your feeling spending time with them and spending time with other teams that this is a, this is a pretty common thing that you could travel and still not have any idea who's, who's racing until that morning. Well, I think everyone, no people, the media doesn't know the fans don't know, but the coach knows who's racing before they get on the plane. You know? And do they tell that to the athletes? Yeah, so they all knew. Like, every When I was following NAU, they knew who was racing before they got on the plane. They knew whether they were going there to cheer, going there to work out, going there to race. They, it all was mm-hmm. known. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I don't think they kind of – I think that's more of a high school thing where you kind of like, am I going to be on the relay or not? You know, coach is going to tell us the day of. I think most of these collegiates – they know they're going to, to be an alternate, you know. Okay, because I was talking to I forgot who it was at one of those meets I was at this year. It must have been pre nats. I guess it was more like, are you going to run the A race or the B race? And they like didn't know until the last minute. I just I feel like with the me- mental preparation being so important for for a lot of these coaches, it would just be seems really challenging. I guess maybe that's the ultimate test of your mental strength is like, I'm literally ready for anything. and I don't need to, I don't need to know. Like I'm all, I'm going to be in a constant state of readiness at all times. This just seems really challenging. One thing I think some coaches do is for prelim and prelim and final, they don't tell who's going to run the final until after the prelim. Right. So like I remember when I was in high school, uh, it was assumed that I wasn't running the final in a four by eight at state, but then coach, I ran fast in the prelims. And then coach is like, all right, you're running the final. So it was like one of those things where he's not going to set in stone the final until, you know, the 24 hours before, but yeah. But like, so say the DMR. So like at NCAA's DMR with like a mile prelim and all that stuff. Yeah. Like when would they have known? Do you think? I think, they know a hundred percent. I think, I think they know what their like the likely outcome is going to be, but then yeah. I think they meet just to confirm that the likely ap- outcome is what they're doing. You know? Yeah. I, I, that I, makes yeah, sense. Yeah. I think they only make a change based off of like, Hey man, I, you know, I have diarrhea this morning type thing, you know? Yeah. Or Not three like, of us ran the, three of us ran the mile prelim. Like we all advance to the final, or we all didn't make it. Who feels the best? That that sort of discussion. Yeah, yeah. Seems seems challenging. Another one I want to mention. Another thing I like. I know we're don't have much time left, but uh, meets at twilight, I think are cool when the sun just goes down. Especially that late spring, early summer. It's it's still warm, but since the sun's not out, it feels like it's ideal distance running weather. You know, you've been to you've been to meets at Stanford or yeah Hayward. Well, where it's like that, I like that. I like that. I like the the visuals there. I like I like the Twilight visual too. But here's a question I have for you: Are you pro or against this? Do you like it when these like outdoor track meets put people on lane four or five on the track? Do you like that? As I, a spectator or as a runner? Spectator. Okay, because when I was running in the 
two or three times that it happened i thought it was it was kind of cool and i was really far behind so it felt like i had company out there so that was kind of cool uh i kind of liked it when it was only for special occasions and i feel like now it's kind of like carrying flags around after you win (laughs) now it's used so much i remember when this was back in the day oregon was trying to break the four by mile record and I don't remember who was on the team. Do you remember this? I like remember. Rupp? Yes. I don't well, – I didn't see it, but I know it, they were close. Yeah. Well, yeah, no one really saw it because it was you know right at the infancy of streaming things. But it was like – would it have been like Rupp, Weeding, and – I mean I think Shadrach Biwat was on the team. And the big deal of that was they had this like sort of – it was just a one-off thing. But the big deal was like, oh, and spectators are going to be able to go stand on the track. And so, that was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, so it's 2009. Uh they ran 1603. It was Rupp, Weeding, Centro, and Biwat. B Biwat, right? That's a squad. And if do they have the splits on there? If yes. I'm not mistaken, so, did Biwat run like 403? So Redshirt Freshman Centro ran 359. Andrew Reading ran 359. Biwat ran four, 405. Okay, that's why. Okay, I remember. The, on the third leg, that. and then Rupp closed in three fifty eight. I mean, this. So Rupp needed a Rupp needed a what? What did he need? What What's the What was the record? Well, I mean, just to go sub sixteen. I uh, think. three second. He would have to run uh, a three fifty five. Okay, that was tough, but that was what year was that? Two thousand nine. Okay, so I wasn't at Oregon at the time, but I remember getting emails from people being like, "Oh my!" And they're going to let fans on the track, and it was a big, it was a big deal. So I think it's used a little, a little too much. But I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fault people for. Are you saying just like for regular races they shouldn't do it? Yeah, I just feel like it's kind of like overdone. It's like, it's like what you know, everyone kind of feels like they're doing something creative and new by doing it. But like I feel like it's beginning doing been being done too much that it's kind of ruining ruining the magic of it. I guess you could say. I, when you have a good when you have a big crowd, it's cool. And yeah. like those photos every year from Sir Walter Myler are awesome because it looks like it looks like Lopez Lamong is basically like sprinting through a shopping mall. Yeah, it's like, like the amount of track. people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, everybody's just so close. It looks like madness. So that's that's fun. But yeah, like when we did it, or in meets, I was that it, it was like the meet was so low-key that like spectators would just sort of like and coaches would just they'd start out cheering in lane eight or yelling at their athletes in lane eight and then with each successive lap they would get closer and closer in because the field would thin out to the point where you know there's people yelling in in like lane three and four um and i just i don't know it was helpful for me just because it gave you a little bit of encouragement to keep going in a five thousand, i guess but on the side of the home, like on the side where there were bleachers, this is on the back stretch. On the side where there were bleachers, people were still in the bleachers. So, uh, yeah. So yeah, moral I'm story is just like double check if it's worth if the race is worth it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, don't they do it? This at the is it the Mayo Mile in in Notre Dame where everybody comes down and they have thunder six and stuff? Am I remembering that right? Maybe I don't know. I haven't ever since uh, Notre Dame is. With the ACC, I haven't thought of that race. <laughs> no. but, Have you been there before? Yeah, I was there when Flowtrack used to stream it, yeah. Okay, okay. But you don't remember the, the crowd doing anything special? No, nah, I mean, maybe. I don't, nothing, nothing memorable, I could say that. 
Do you okay. have you ever been? You know when Portland does the halftime mile? Have you seen that? Halftime mile? No. They try talk to talk to Rob Connor. Uh, at halftime of a basketball game, like on the they have like a indoor track there. They try to get people to break four during halftime of a basketball game. Break like four guys in the, the mile. Team. Yeah, yeah. They have they have guys on the team run it. It's like what what type of track is it? It's a tiny little track. Oh. Uh, hold like on, let me make sure I'm getting this right. Old school intramural type track. Yeah. So every year the here we go. Every year the Portland Pilots men's cross country team hosts the halftime mile on the Child Center track during a men's basketball game. The event started in the early 1990s. It includes student athletes from the University of Portland, also open to the Portland running community. Um, Ooh, I want to see how many laps. I I do know. Uh, for the first time in Portland's history, uh, one of their athletes broke four minutes in the mile. They had never had a four-minute miler, sub-four-minute miler. They're getting an out. They're getting an outdoor track now too. So, yeah. which Everything is kind of is, weird uh, to think. Portland, you know, they have like really fast guys like Woody Kincaid, Reed Buchanan, Scott Fobble. None of those guys yeah. broke four in the mile. It wasn't until it happened uh, this past season at Husky, I think. Yeah. Oh, cool. Okay, so this. Uh, <laughs> This is amazing. Uh, it's like a, it looks like a four lane track. It's like the track on the top of a gym. Um, it's covered. Like it's, it's hard to explain. It's very small. I'll just say that. Um, but it, you can see the basketball arena in the background. Um, I'm surprised you'd never been out for this or seen this before. This seems like right up your alley. Well, I don't live in Portland, Oregon. Well, I mean, just you, you're an international traveler, Gordon, and <laughs> a national true. traveler because this is, uh, yeah, it, it's pretty wild. Um, I just want to say so, I'm, I'm really happy that we went 60 minutes on this podcast without talking about the coronavirus. And we're gonna oh, try to, you just jinxed it. I jinxed it, but I, I want to keep be more positive vibes on these podcasts, no more doom and gloom, coronavirus, end of the world talk. We, have, we can save that for other podcasts. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, that's my other podcast that I host uh, on the weekends, uh, Doom and Gloom with Kevin. Yeah, this is fun. Uh, I think what you and Lincoln will be back tomorrow. Is that right? I guess so, yeah. Email so you have to tell him. I have to tell him to not talk about the end of the world because I feel like that's the first thing he's going to be talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully we'll get some emails. Remember, flowtrackpodcast at gmail.com. You can listen to this on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or on the Flowtrack website. Like I said, reach out. You can send us a voice memo as well, too. Just email it to flowtrackpodcast at gmail.com. We'll play it on the air. We'll make it happen. Uh, that's all I got for today, Gordon. Hang in there, all right? All right. Stay bunkered down. <laughs> Talk to you guys later.